Are you ready to take your leadership and your organization to the next level and beyond? Your competitors will be there before you know it. Today's leaders must perpetually innovate, evolve, and grow faster than the competition. Welcome to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations with Maureen Metcalf. In the next hour, you'll meet innovative leaders who have become successful at the helm of some of the most respected organizations in the world. And you can become the next big success story. Now, here's your host, Maureen Metcalf. Hi, welcome to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. I'm your host, Maureen Metcalf. I work with leaders and their organizations to identify the trends that will most likely disrupt their business and develop business strategies and business and leadership practices to leverage those trends to create strategic advantage. I'm a regular contributor to Forbes and the lead author on an award-winning book series focusing on innovating how you lead and transforming your organizations. I'm also an adjunct faculty member at universities in the U.S. and Germany. Today with us is returning guest, Mike Morrow-Fox, and also part of um, the Metcalf & Associates team. Mike has over 20 years of experience in leading technology and human resource operations for healthcare, education, banking, and nonprofits, as well as several years of university teaching. His bachelor's degree focuses on industrial psychology and employee counseling, and his MBA focuses on organizational leadership. He's currently completing his doctorate in educational leadership. He's a contributor to several books in the award-winning Innovative Leadership Book series. He is highly respected as a member of our team, which is why he's on the show, (laughs) and why he's on the team. One of the things I like most about Mike is the combination. He is incredibly research-heavy, especially as he's working on his PhD, but also he backs it up with decades, literally, of leadership experience in counseling. So... He looks at the research through the lens of what really makes sense, and he looks at what we recommend through what makes sense grounded in research. And there aren't many people I know with both his depth of experience and his depth in the research. So I always appreciate and learn from him through these conversations. So I wanted the Innovative Leadership Series to really be an update to almost an MBA program for leaders. So if we look at the rate of change we're facing, recently I've been having conversations about artificial intelligence and what is this gonna mean on our planet for us as employees and the idea that 70 to 80% of the jobs we currently have won't even exist in 20 years. So with that kind of as the backdrop, how do we possibly stay up to date for ourselves and our families, let alone our businesses? So how do I anticipate what's coming, adjust myself, adjust course, and help my business stay on track so that it continues to thrive into the future rather than going the way of the dinosaur? So my goal is to present leading thinkers across a broad range of topics so that you as our listeners can continue to stay current as as I am continuing to update myself as well so that we are relevant in the long term, not just rock stars in the short term. So the goal of this session today with Mike is addressing the issue of conflict management. So what I hear a lot from leaders as we talk about creating development programs is uh, my people are really good at whatever their skill is, but they often don't have any acumen or not enough in conflict management and difficult conversations. So Mike's going to help us think through, one, how do we effectively manage through conflict because it's never comfortable? And what are some of the specific tools that we can practice and develop skills in and know when to use different tools. So with that, welcome, Mike. Thank you, it's a pleasure to be here again. So given the lead in, we're talking about conflict management and how do you deal with conflict knowing that most of us don't want to? Well, and that I, I really appreciate and enjoy the topic because it's uh, conflict is an interesting and, and really important piece. I know that we deal with it a lot mm-hmm. as coaches. And one of the things that makes it so important is those people in general that are comfortable with conflict tend not to be so good with it. (laughs) So what we'll run into, and you know this as as coaches, is is that those people that are most comfortable with conflict bully their way through it. 
The people who are less comfortable with conflict tend to try and avoid it, and that's where you'll get the third party asking you to come in and saying, can you help me with my team because they're not dealing with stuff or mm-hmm. or in some cases even with my board, and that's a big issue. So I appreciate it. You know, as we were talking about putting this together, I looked at a couple of pieces that I think are really – Uh, hopefully for your listeners, interesting in terms of how important it is just to deal with this as an issue. You know, right now, collaboration in teams is everything. And uh, that's how we work now as a society with the with the new the new way that that people work. So as we think about the seven leadership competencies, the leader 2050 competencies that you're the primary architect of, being innately collaborative is one of those top seven. And that requires that we deal with conflict. Absolutely. And it requires dealing with a variety of different people. And the importance of it is, is that the first thing is, is that if you have somebody that's negative in your work group, you're going to have a dip of productivity between 30 and 40 percent. So say more about that. Yeah. Will Phelps did some wonderful research and he actually called it bad apple research. And it's one of those pieces that came from a great story of his wife coming home from work. And he was uh, teaching, I think, at Wharton at the time. And she said, it's been a a wonderful week. And he said, really? Why? And she said, oh, so-and-so has been sick all week, so we're getting so much (laughs) done. And he thought, that's really interesting. And what he found was they did some really neat experiments that they published on the Bad Apple research. But what they found was that there were three different negative behaviors. One of them was withholding effort. The other was having a negative tone. You know, somebody who says, oh, we already done that or we can't do. And somebody who is violating interpersonal norms in terms of being disrespectful. I'm thinking of a client who had an employee who went to HR and complained about her colleagues, like so-and-so has a heroin habit. You don't make a false accusation about a heroin habit, right? There are lots of things you can say that they're not nice to me, but that's a big accusation. Yeah. You definitely want to make sure that the norms for your work group, and in particular, if you've got somebody who's who's very negative in terms of making false mm-hmm. accusations, but even just somebody who withholds effort saying, you guys may want to be here past five, but I've got a life, mm-hmm. in such a way that, that it makes the whole group feel undervalued. Mm-hmm. If you've got somebody who is innately always saying, oh, we already tried that, it doesn't work, mm-hmm. you know, you've got those sorts of things going on. What you'll find is, is that that person can drag the entire productivity of the group down 30 to 40 percent. So it's not just the negative Nelly person, but that they are, that's contagious. And that's a, a great way to look at it, because the second piece I looked at was uh, what's called contagious giving. If you look at the opposite of that, you can take a look at, at some of the research on that, and Fowler and Christakis have done some really interesting research. And what they found is, is that there is such a thing as contagious giving. So on the one hand, if you've got somebody who's negative with the group, they pull the whole group down. Mm-hmm. If you've got someone who's giving, they can pull the whole group up. And when you take a look at contagious giving, they did some neat experiments where four people can come together. There are six rounds of being able to either, and we're not allowed to communicate, being mm-hmm. able either to take $3 or to give $2 to the group. Mm-hmm. Now, if all four people give $2 to the group, then everyone in the group gets $8. If nobody p- gives anything to the group and I give my $2 to the group, I only get $1. And as you go through six rounds of this, if you keep all $3, all six rounds, you get 18 bucks. But if everybody gave their $2 to the group for all six rounds, then they would get 48 bucks. And what they found is, is that when one person was a giver in that first round and continually gave, the entire group started to give more. When they had groups where there weren't givers, it wasn't contagious. But just one giver through round after round, even though nobody knew who it was, hmm. it caused a contagion throughout. And, and that was a, a really good way of understanding the larger research when they find givers in groups and how those groups escalate to be more giving as a group. And, and so uh, this bad apple behavior is contagious. The good behavior is contagious. And at the end of the day, it's dealing with conflict Mm -hmm. successfully that allows you to have the givers escalate and have the bad apples um, either uh, uh, get themselves together or or find something that's a better match for them. I was just, as you were talking, 
wondering if you have a bad apple and a giver in a group, which one's more contagious? Do you <laughs> know? A, yeah, actually, I do. Unfortunately, it's the bad <laughs> apple. <laughs> Isn't that terrible? Really? Yeah, so they are yeah. they're more more contagious, like the flu. Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, <laughs> yeah. And the reason for that is is that when you affect somebody's safety. Uh, and, and we'll talk, I think, later a little bit about some well of the, yeah, physical. that's, well, it, it, even more emotionally than anything else. Mm-hmm. If you make it in a room unsafe for somebody to give a new idea because they're going to get put down for it or feel mm-hmm. silly mm-hmm. for it, as soon as you do that, the entire room shuts down. And, and you don't need me to quote the research on that. Everybody knows that. Yeah. In fact, when the boss comes in, a, a number of times I've had situations, and I bet you have too, where I facilitated stuff and the boss will come in just to be a part of it. Mm-hmm. And as soon as the president comes into the room, it, the dynamics completely change. No matter how open the president is or how well-liked or how complimentary, mm-hmm. it just changes everything because the threat level goes up. So unfortunately, when you have a bad apple that you don't deal with, the threat level mm-hmm. goes up within your group and their productivity goes down. And that connects to the vibrancy research and a lot of the other research that we've talked about as well, that, yeah, if, if I feel unsafe and I feel bad about myself as a consequence, I don't put forth creative ideas. I may not even put forth any more effort than required. Well, and what David Rock, who's a neuroscientist, would say, and we'll talk a little mm-hmm. bit about that more later, is is that it's not only that I make a conscious effort not to, it's that as soon as I become under threat, as mm-hmm. soon as I start to feel that I, I'm, not, I'm losing some support, at that point in time, it's not only that I'm withholding, it's that I'm not even able to give novel ideas because all of a sudden my limbic system is kicking in and I'm a little bit in fight or flight and people who are in fight or flight don't come up with creative new ideas. One of the statistics Gary Weber gave us in his audio recordings was that the brain preferences negative behavior by a factor of eight to ten times. So if I have had an experience with Bill down the hall uh, yelling at me, then every time I interact with Bill, my brain is going to go into the mode of how do how do you stay safe with Bill? And by default, yeah, then the limbic system kicks in. I'm in protection mode. And the last thing I am doing is sharing a creative idea with Bill because I don't want him to tell me I'm an idiot. That makes perfect sense to me. You know, let's talk a little bit more about David Rock's scarf system, too. Okay. And we can just go right into that because I think it it really he, – he did a great job of – as a neuroscientist of really understanding what is it that people need in order to be creative and open and collaborative. And, and collaborative is a key there. And SCARF is an acronym that stands for Status, Certainty, Autonomy, Relatedness, and Fairness. And what he said is is that – or what he found was, was that if you affected somebody's status, their relative importance in the group, I'm a manager, but now all of a sudden we say, if you can't hit those numbers, we're not sure you're going to be a manager again. All of a sudden, what he found is that neurologically, (laughs) all of their effort is going into fight or flight. That's that eight to 10 times fear. And I go into protection mode. If I... uh, if I end up threatening someone's certainty, if they can't predict that things are going to be similar enough that they can work through them, I'm going to have that same fight or flight. So that means in an environment that is fluid, am- ambiguous in some cases, which is many workplaces, that I, if I don't have a coping mechanism or a level of comfort with ambiguity, I'm going to be in fight and flight. Well, maybe, but I think it's less about your own competencies for it and more for the way that that we set up a pathway for you to feel certain. So I may have an uh, ambiguous environment. I'm not sure exactly, you know, how I'm going to contribute, but I know that every day when I come in, Maureen is going to help me be successful. Ah, okay. So I deal with ambiguity because I have the support system of my boss or my colleagues or the help desk. That's right. Okay. And if you if you visualize and and if you're uh, executive staff or or people who are, you know, thinking about being executive staff, if people get these visions, you can think about the boss that is supportive and that you know, hey, I'm kind of stuck, can you help me? And you get the help and support you need rather than criticism mm-hmm. versus the boss who comes in and says, "Hit the numbers or hit the bricks." And we've all worked with those. 
I haven't, but <laughs> you haven't. No, I haven't, but I've seen really? people. Really? Okay. Yeah, I've had great bosses. <laughs> Autonomy, um, a feeling of control, kind of goes with that, and and that pulls into the the A in scarf. Relatedness, which is an interesting piece. Relatedness plays into this as well. But if I threaten somebody's support of the group, their ability to be a part of things, a feeling mm. of belonging of it. Uh, if I feel kind of ostracized from the group as a result of what's going on. And bosses can do that without really even uh, uh, thinking about it or being completely aware of it. As soon as that happens, I'm in fight or flight. So can you give an example of that? Yeah, I uh, I worked with uh, an employee who, uh, um, who was a director, and she would constantly say, in front of everybody, uh, um, you know, you have to do this, this, or this. I-, I need this now, and you're not getting it for me. And what would happen to that individual is that they're, uh, they would kind of feel like, oh, gosh, I'm not getting things done. And you could watch how the group would kind of separate. Oh. So, so the different employees were like, okay, I think I'm going to get away from Mark because uh, – uh, he's, sl- he's a whatever non-performer. Well, and, and uh, yeah, so, so she sent a very strong message regularly to him, and we were able to have a conversation. When she changed that behavior – he cha- he became more effective, and he also became more integrated with the group. Mm-hmm. So sometimes you don't even realize that you're affecting somebody's relatedness within the group. But as the boss, uh, a lot of times you can really send a signal as to whether somebody is a part of us or not a part of us. And then the last one is my favorite one because the the research on it is so strong, and that is fairness. And what we're finding is societally as well as in business organizations, when there is a gap in fairness, there's a huge gap in performance. And interestingly, the fairness factor is more important actually than any of the other factors. Now, fairness is a touchy one because that's through the lens of the perceiver. That's correct. And so what I perceive as fair may be very different because I'm not a clock watcher or a wardrobe watcher. So I, I don't care if you show up at the same time, but I do care if you get your work done. And that's, that's why you get paid the big bucks when you're an executive or yeah. a manager because you got to pay attention to folks and find out who does feel like things are unfair and make sure that they understand the fairness in them or that you're making things fair. The larger the gap in fairness, and, and uh, I'll give you a sense of, uh, I've been reading a lot recently from a societal lens of what happens to individuals when they see such a gap in income from their income potential to what other people's income potential is. So that's my CEO is making 200,000 times what I make, whatever. Well, it can be, but it's a very interesting thing because what we're seeing right now is is that people underestimate how well off they are. You're in the top mm. 20% of all earners if you're making 100,000. If you're actually your family income, your household income is $100,000 or more, you're in the top uh, 20% of all income earners. On the planet. On the planet, but certainly in the United States. And a lot of times people don't feel that way because if I'm making $100,000, I still have house payments and car payments. And I know probably within my group a number of people who are making $150,000. And mm-hmm. as a result, I don't feel like I'm all that well off, but I'm better off than 80% of everyone else. The people who are on the other side of that may have a lot of needs met. They've got a television and they've got a refrigerator and they're eating on a fairly regular basis, but they're under this constant pressure to do their week-to-week earning in order to keep their family moving. Mm -hmm. And so if you just looked at, well, these people versus a lot of other people have the food, they have TV, they have shelter, shouldn't they be happy? The answer is that in general what we find is the larger the gap in, uh, in, in income between individuals, and it doesn't have to be income. We find that if there are flights and the flight has a uh, the flight has an area that's a uh, first class, those flights will have more conflict and more issues arise by a factor of sixty. Than sixty flights, times more. Yeah, than flights that don't have a first class cabin. What kind when, of conflict? I want to use the first class bathroom. No, it's not that. It's that when people see that in first class they're getting 
food and they're getting care and they're oh. getting and I'm dealing with the kid kicking my seat in the back there. I'm more apt to be nasty than if hmm. we're all sitting and having our seats kit, kicked in the back. Interesting. But it's more than that, and and we can talk about it after you go to break, but we can talk – there's been some really interesting research with primates, and you can go and watch a YouTube right now. If we give a monkey a grape – Oh, yeah, we've talked about this. (laughs) Uh, Instead of uh, a a cucumber, then you give the other monkey a cucumber, you'll watch that monkey go ballistic. Now, they both – they're perfectly happy with cucumbers until grapes are introduced, but be unfair. Give one monkey for no reason a grape and the other one not the opportunity to get one, and you see dramatically different behaviors. And again, circling back to conflict, that the environment in which we're operating creates or mitigates the conflict. And I, as a leader, certainly need to then be prepared to deal with it. And also to structure an environment that mitigates as much as possible. So creates a sense of fairness as perceived by my stakeholders. Because the airline probably isn't trying to create a lack of fairness by having first class. I, I assume they don't design that to annoy people, but rather to reward. So we will be right back from break. This is Maureen Metcalf and Mike Morafox talking about conflict. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Metcalf & Associates is your trusted partner to create perpetual innovation and evolution in your leadership and business. Are you ready to innovate and evolve? Since its inception, Metcalf & Associates has been dedicated to helping leaders evolve their leadership mindset and skills and create organizations that can continually innovate to achieve results in a highly competitive and rapidly changing environment. We help leaders, management teams, and organizations identify and create the perpetual capacity to identify and implement transformative solutions necessary to meet their mission and create strategic advantage. Metcalf & Associates offers proven results backed by leading-edge research and a global network of accomplished consultants and thought leaders. Visit Metcalf-Associates.com. Maureen and her associates are ready to discuss your needs and tailor a solution to meet your goals. Move forward with Metcalf & Associates. Visit Metcalf-Associates.com today. We hear it and read about it every day in the news. America is heading over a fiscal cliff. Home prices are still receding and unemployment growing. How can you preserve and increase your wealth in this kind of economy? Tune in to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with host Jay Taylor. Jay will explain the decline of our monetary system and the economy and will give you winning investment ideas and the tools to protect and increase your wealth. Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor can be heard Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. The Voice America Live Events Channel is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit voiceamerica.com forward slash live events to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or single-day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a few hours or a few days. For more information about taking your event to the next level, call Jeff Spinard at 480 294 6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com. Again, that's Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com. Voice America is where you are and where you want to be. Join us around the globe as we broadcast live from some of the most interesting events available. Don't forget to view all our live events, including on-demand access to past events that you may have missed by visiting voiceamerica.com forward slash live events. Whether the market's up or down, or if you're looking to improve your portfolio, our experts are ready to talk to you. Call now. Toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. are listening to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. To reach Maureen Metcalf or her guest today, 
please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to info at metcalf-associates.com. Now, back to this week's program. Welcome back to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. We are talking about conflict with Mike Morrow-Fox, and we ended with the SCARF model and the idea of fairness. So, Mike, during break, you and I were talking about fairness. Let's go back into that a little bit. Yeah. You know, what I talked about is you brought up a a good point that in my discussions with executive teams, they Mm -hmm. talk about as well, and that is fairness is relative. So Mm -hmm. how do I deal with somebody's perception and -hmm. the relativity of it? And the answer is, is just, it's really important to ask myself, is it fair? Mm -hmm. And a lot of times for a number of your listeners, one of the big issues they're dealing with is change management, Mm -hmm. that they've got some great tools and technology for their teams, and yet from a change management perspective, they're having trouble with adoption. And what has happened to me a number of times is I'll come in with my change management tools. Um, Most people are familiar with the Cotter model and the ADCAR model, and there's a few different models to deal with change. And I'll have to go back to the team and say, throw the models out the window because your change sucks. And (laughs) you don't manage sucky change. (laughs) You you can, but not very well. (laughs) I mean, if if you put in a new finance system and it causes three times the work that the old one did, Mm -hmm. don't expect your team to adopt it very well. They're not or at all. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so if it is an unfair situation and, and you talk with folks and get a sense that it's clearly unfair, mm-hmm. don't think you're going to wash over it. The important part of this discussion is, is that when I'm looking at conflict, what mm-hmm. I've got to ask myself is, how do I address that conflict in a way that doesn't intimidate, that doesn't make people feel on edge, that doesn't really get them fearful, and that they perceive as fair as much as possible? So that starts with creating a sense of safety, right? It does. And, and I'll bring you into the crucial conversation stuff. If your audience has taken a crucial conversations course, that's great. I would go back into that material a little bit because it's tremendous at attending to the neurology of conflict. It's also mm. good at helping people really get through conflict. They've got seven different pieces that they teach. If you haven't taken that course, it's worthwhile to take. And what I'd also recommend is because it's such good stuff to have that people who are really dealing with conflict in your audience not only take a Crucial Conversations course or go back to their materials, but get a Crucial Conversations, a coach. Make sure that you're actually executing the skills. So the skills that Crucial Conversations talk about are that, number one, they talk about being authentic. Going into a Crucial Conversation, which they define, and it's a great definition, is if the stakes are high, opinions differ, or emotions run high. Mm -hmm. Any of those situations, you've got a Crucial Conversation. You're dealing with conflict in those cases. Okay, so back to our model the Leader 2050 competency, one of the things we talk about is being able to and being required to surface different perspectives and integrate those. So by definition, almost, it, it is possible to have conflict, right? If you see the world completely or significantly differently than I do, then it's likely that we could bump into conflict. Actually, creative conflict is phenomenal for the workplace. And I really like Lynn Shioni's model, okay. um, Five Dysfunctions of the Team. And what he talks about is, is that at the top of the model is results. But underneath that is a comfort with conflict, that you mm-hmm. create safe spaces for conflict to surface, because only through conflict do people then start to invest, and only through that investment do they get accountability, and only through accountability do you get results. So that's how the model plays through. Conflict is essential to getting results. Okay, so I think that's a really important point, because most of us avoid it, and yet that's like avoiding breathing. Yeah. Well, yeah, avoiding breathing if you want your team to operate at high levels and you Mm -hmm. want people to really own the results and put in the types of efforts that you need. So, yeah, absolutely. Well, most of us say we want that. I I don't know that we understand how difficult that's going to be for us personally. But I don't know anyone who says I want to get bad results. Nobody says they want to get bad results and no leader – Really, the key to leadership in a number of operational circumstances really is to create a team and a team environment where people can surface this conflict, work through it, and then get to the next level. 
So that takes us back then to the crucial conversations bit. So even if they're generative, there's still conflict. Absolutely. Okay. What, what Crucial Conversations talks about is the way that you deal with this conflict and the way that you model it and guide it for your team, mm-hmm. in a sense. So the first thing is thus authenticity. The second thing is an investment in dialogue, meaning we got to keep talking. If it's uncomfortable or comfortable, we have to make sure we keep talking because as soon as we pull out of the communication channels, you can't move any further. Mm-hmm. The third piece of it is to create a safe space, which we've talked quite a bit about. And that's where I think the scarf comes in. And they give some really good techniques in terms of active listening is one of the great ways that you Mm -hmm. create safe spaces. Keeping your emotions in check and finding mutual purposes, keeping fact base, and then coming out with a clear plan at the end as to how we're gonna move to the next level. So let me go back to a couple of those, keeping my emotions in check, which is easier said than done when I feel like you are completely questioning the way I make sense of things by virtue of having a different point of view. In some ways, it feels like you're questioning me, not just my idea, but it can feel like I'm under assault. Yeah. So as a facilitator, and I use that term, but as as a a leader, Mm -hmm. as someone who's leading a team and someone who's a team member, Mm -hmm. what I'm going to do is make sure that as I'm emoting, maybe uh, somewhat, what I'm going to make sure is, is that we keep around the topic, Mm -hmm. that we understand, and and that's where you kind of go through these on a regular basis, but we make sure we're going for a mutual purpose, Mm -hmm. that this isn't any one individual being singled out here or there, Mm -hmm. and that at the end of this, we're going to have a clear plan that we can all work. And if we realize that that's where we're going and how we're going there, Mm -hmm. then a lot of times you take a lot of the sting out of it, a lot of Mm -hmm. the neurological fight or flight out of it. And as a result of that, you can get to to some of the real importance of settling creative differences. You know, I think of a tool, the, the idea, the, the old David Bohm dialogue tool process, and where I've been, but it requires number two of your points, making space, right? The going around, so we raise a topic, how do we deal with X? And it's a touchy topic. And each person gives a point of view. And it's interesting if you go around the table about three times, at least for me, I forgot what my point was. Uh I start to assimilate other people's points of view. And at the end, unless we've got other people who are much more committed to their perspective, just in a very short period of time, I think people soften up on this is mine and that's yours. And we innately come up with an R's. Is that consistent with the research or I'm an oddball? I think it's consistent with the research, although what you can find is that there's a variety of tools that you may want to look at as a leader Mm -hmm. that help ensure that that occurs. One of them is storyboarding. Storyboarding is a great tool, and uh, I just taught this to a group at Ohio State, a group of managers that were terrific. And what we talked about is is that with storyboarding, what you do is you give everybody note cards, and you say, okay, we're going to work on an issue. Everybody turn in five concerns or five solutions or whatever on the note mm-hmm. cards. And the reason why you do it on note cards is the quiet people will write note cards, but they won't say anything. Mm-hmm. You can't surface the conflict or the new ideas. The people who are the people who have a, a leadership role in the room and, and the power of leadership, they may take over the room, but when you have people write out cards and send the cards forward, you get all that data in. So sometimes mm-hmm. you just use the techniques, but if you really pay attention to making sure that you're trying to get this creative conflict to surface and make sure that you do it in such a way so that people's status and certainty and relative importance and the fairness is taken care of. And you use some of these techniques where people know that they'll be in a safe space and that they'll have a clear plan at the end and that we're going to stay really fact-based as much as we can. You can get phenomenal results and not avoid conflict but start to really feel comfortable with it. That sounds like a lot to remember. Well, yeah, I would, I, yeah, it's not it's not necessarily a, like a, a math formula. So. No, I'm, I'm just thinking I need my check seats on the wall. Okay, yeah. are they safe? Am I being authentic? Am I making time? Do they think it's fair? I, I, I think that's a great point. And the point is, this isn't memory. What has to happen here is this has to be that how I function, how I operate. So that's why it's so important that I work with a group or a coach or a you know uh, take the crucial conversations course, do a number of those mm-hmm. sorts of things because I'm not 
going to be able to go to a cheat sheet and go, well, but wait a minute. <laughs> you're, sp- you're not supposed to do that yeah. now. <laughs> that's, no, that's number <laughs> yeah. three on the yeah. list. <laughs> I actually taught a class and we were doing nonviolent communication. And one of my grad students went home and had, you know, like one of the biggest conversations in his marital life. And he's like, she didn't do what she was supposed to. Yeah. It may not be the place to start practicing. <laughs> so on that note, we're going to get a break. Again, this is Maureen Metcalf, Mike Morrow Fox, and we're talking about dealing with conflict. And Mike is giving us fabulous tools and models to think about how we deal with conflict. We'll come back and talk about building practices around that. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Metcalf & Associates is your trusted partner to create perpetual innovation and evolution in your leadership and business. Are you ready to innovate and evolve? Since its inception, Metcalf & Associates has been dedicated to helping leaders evolve their leadership mindset and skills and create organizations that can continually innovate to achieve results in a highly competitive and rapidly changing environment. We help leaders, management teams, and organizations identify and create the perpetual capacity to identify and implement transformative solutions necessary to meet their mission and create strategic advantage. Metcalf & Associates offers proven results backed by leading-edge research and a global network of accomplished consultants and thought leaders. Visit Metcalf-Associates.com. Maureen and her associates are ready to discuss your needs and tailor a solution to meet your goals. Move forward with Metcalf & Associates. Visit Metcalf-Associates.com today. Today we live in a truly global environment. Business can more easily be conducted now in almost any part of the world. How do you, as a business owner or professional, navigate the ever-changing business landscape? Tune in to Leadership Beyond Borders with host Kimberly J. Lewis. With a worldwide resource of guests, you'll find out what opportunities and challenges surround diverse and virtual organizations. Listen live every Tuesday at 3 p.m. U.S. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Whether the market's up or down, or if you're looking to improve your portfolio, our experts are ready to talk to you. Call now, toll-free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. To reach Maureen Metcalf or her guest today, Please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to info at metcalf-associates.com. Now, back to this week's program. Welcome back to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations here with Maureen Metcalf and Mike Morrowfox. As we went on break, we talked about moving into... How do we go from this is all nice theory and I've got a bunch of check sheets on my wall and then I get into a conflict and I can't take them with me. So how do I as an individual and a leader in an organization create the capacity and increase the probability that when something happens, we're actually going to do this rather than go back from a conflict and say, boy, I wish I'd done that differently. That's a great question. And I think there's three different domains that you can look at on a personal level. The first domain is your own developmental maturity. Mm-hmm. How strong is your ego? And what that really means is is that how much am I prone to be defensive versus integrative? Mm-hmm. How much am I prone to be looking at a larger picture rather than the individual piece in front of me? How strong is my ego in terms of being able to pull back from the situation and really learn? Mm-hmm. And of course, that's a, a, a coaching opportunity and it's a, a larger, longer ranger 
piece, but hopefully everybody's working on increasing their own developmental maturity as they go through. But that's not a week-long class. No, and, and it's it's probably tangential to this. Mm-hmm. The second thing is, is that emotional intelligence certainly plays a role in this. And in particular, if you think about emotional intelligence, it's understanding my impact on other people, understanding and modulating my own behavior, and being able to have those feedback loops. And again, that's not a course. It's not a, a, a set of things. But the larger piece here is to realize something that people don't like, and that is that culture really has a lot to do with how people behave. And in particular, I'm going to say, use the term, culture has a lot to do with how I behave in any given situation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So there's the good news and the bad news with that. The good news with that is is that if the culture is a collaborative learning organization culture, Mm-hmm. then people in that culture will behave in a collaborative, learning, sharing way. And conversely, if they're not, even though they're developmentally mature and have high emotional intelligence, more than likely they won't behave that way. And we've both coached people who we know would score well on the developmental spectrum and high EQ, and yet they're sent to us because they're not behaving the way the organization wants them to. Well, and, and what your listeners will identify with is is that there are times when they are not their best selves. Mm-hmm. And they know they're not their best selves because of the workplace being crazy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I've coached a number of people who on their way home from work end up saying to themselves, what happened? How am I behaving this way? So if we think about the culture of the workplace as, uh, as like white water, mm-hmm you know, running up, then the question is, which direction is it going? Because you could obviously paddle up a whitewater creek. I don't have the skill to do that. (laughs) (laughs) One could. (laughs) Yes. But it's a lot easier and a lot more successful if you go down. And what most people tend to do without even realizing it is go with the cultural norms. Mm -hmm. So if I know the norms of a culture in an organization, I can pretty well determine the behavior even beyond what they did on their DISC scores, Mm -hmm. what they did on their Myers-Briggs, all the different things that are going on with them individually. If I know the culture, I can pretty well tell where their boat is going. Mm -hmm. If I'm a leader, what I want to do is control that culture. And so part of this is, is creating a culture where conflict is welcomed and where conflict is resolved in such a way so that at the end of it, I say, okay, this makes sense. And that little tiny pit I have in my stomach when conflict occurs, Mm -hmm. I'm okay with it. I don't, I don't get too intimidated because I know at the end of the day, I'm going to be better, the team's going to be better, mm-hmm. and I'm going to have my status, my certainty, uh, my autonomy, and my relatedness all cared for at the end of it. So that's back to the SCARF model. Everything's intact. Yeah. So what's an example of an organization that has a culture that is learning and conflict accepting, maybe not promoting, but accepting anyway. And I'm more familiar, interestingly, with departments and organizations okay. than I am with whole organizations. Because mm-hmm. a I lot of times, yeah, the, the department will, will function mm-hmm. uh, sometimes even a little bit separately from the organization, depending on the leader. Mm-hmm. So I'll give an example that I have actually worked in an organization where the cultural norm was pretty nasty where people back bit and uh, made personal attacks and went behind people's it, it was uh, not a great culture but the leaders of the organization were calm and listening they modeled how to work through conflict by being good listeners and by making sure that people were cared for and respected. Mm-hmm. They came back around at the end of meetings saying, are you okay with this? They made sure that the plans were inclusive and that people understood the mutual purpose. And I can think in particular of a department that I was a part of in a large organization where that particular department functioned well and surfaced conflict all the time because the leaders of that department, and in particular the chief leader of that mm-hmm. department, were very, very comfortable with working people through conflict. So back to the being authentic, keeping it safe, creating mechanisms to raise conflict and pull emotions out and shared purpose and all the things from crucial conversations. Yes. So it sounds like it is creating a cultural norm or the words we've often used is the agreements about how we behave in our culture. So our agreement explicitly with one another, and I think you and I have this with each other, is if something comes up, we deal with it. And it doesn't always feel good. 
it generally doesn't feel good when something comes up. But that I'm introverted. Well, I'd really rather not ever deal with conflict. But but let's say, too, there's a difference between it not feeling good because really most people don't like dealing with conflict and it being a fearful space. And, mm, and at the end of yeah. the day, the largest issue and, and what your listeners may really reflect on is the thing that I've dealt with most with people that I've either coached or with colleagues that have gone through stuff mm. is eh, people can really understand being demoralized. And so the key is, is that while we've had conflict, while, while I've seen people have conflict, mm-hmm. nobody gets demoralized in it and nobody has to worry about being demoralized. I can always trust through our interactions of, mm-hmm. of the last 20 years that I'm going to walk away and still feel respected. I'm going to walk away and still feel a part of. And I never really feel that demoralization. Well, usually because you're teaching me something. So. <laughs> <laughs> the the uh, I may feel demoralized. The pe- no, I don't though. I feel like I I wish I had known something before we had an interaction. Either way, you know that you're respected. You Absolutely. know that you're cared for. Yeah, you, I'm being, being cheeky. Yeah, yes, and that's how it should be with people who've worked together a lot. Mm-hmm. They should feel like we're going to deal with the conflict, not by avoiding it, but by dealing with it. But we know we have faith that at the end of the day, mm-hmm. we're going to be okay with each other. Absolutely, I agree. And for me, especially as an introvert, I realize that if something comes up that I feel like there is or could be a conflict, I may need to go away and practice these things. I'm working with someone right now coaching, and I don't always confront something immediately. I also feel like the other person needs to be receptive and when that person is in the wrong space, even though they're paying me for my input, they're not always – what they really want to hear occasionally is, yeah, you're right. And when my feedback is not, yes, you're right, but how about let's consider something else, I need to have the right language to say, okay, let's go back and revisit something we just talked about and set the stage such that I'm prepared and they're prepared because in the heat of some drama, even if it's their drama and I'm just witnessing – may not be the time to raise the topic. Yeah, that makes sense. I will say for the listeners, one of the big takeaways from this is to ask themselves, so what is our culture like when it comes to conflict? You know, how does our board operate? Do they avoid conflict or do they deal effectively with conflict and everybody's excited at the end of it? Is our work group uh, do they deal well with conflict or do they avoid it or do they get aggressive and, and bully through it? And if I have a culture that is not effective with conflict, then it's really good for me to either work on it myself and figure out some ways to change the culture to get into the right stream or to get some outside assistance and set that stream. But the neatest thing for me in a lot of the research that I've done has really been to take a look at how fluid people are. And the good news is, is that I can take most people, including myself, I imagine, Mm -hmm. and put them into a culture that is a giving culture, that is a learning organization culture, and find that that my best self comes out even better than I expected. (laughs) And the same thing will be true of the employees that I end up working with. If I create that learning organization Mm -hmm. culture, that giving culture, I'll find that people will surprise me in ways that I can't even understand. And if that culture is not there, they're just not open to pull that best self forward. You know, this so closely dovetails with the vibrancy research that looks at if I don't feel good about myself when I'm with whoever you people, others in my organization, the probability that you're going to get my best effort is zero. If I feel dehumanized, demoralized, it's unfair, it's unsafe. I'm my reputation back to the scarf piece, if any of that stuff is at risk, I go into withholding mode and pulling me out of that once I feel threatened is a whole lot easier than not putting me into it to start with. And I think that dovetails really nicely, too, with what a lot of organizations are working on in terms of engaging employees. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, if you look at the Gallup model, which a lot of things are built off of, they have really four different elements to it. Do I have the support that I need in terms of of the the tools and that kind of Mm -hmm. stuff to do my job? But then as I go up that model, how do I know what I contribute? So a lot of there in the Gallup 12, and and really, if you want engaged employees, they need to know, I'm important here and I'm contributing something. We do have a mutual purpose and I'm getting to it. And if I have an internal conflict and feel this isn't right, I, I got a way to work it through. 
How do I know I belong is the third component. And mm-hmm. moving up that, how do I know that I'm a part of this group and a valued part of this group? And the fourth one is, how do I know that I'm growing? Am I going to be better next year as a result of being in this environment than I was the year before? I had these programming skills coming in. Am I now going to have programming and leadership skills? Am I now going to have better programming skills? Am I now going to have programming and change management skills? And those four really are important. And so you pull it all together and you've got work groups that end up being 400% more Mm -hmm. productive than, Mm -hmm. than general work groups. Well, and that also, just by virtue of that last statement, 400% more productive, that means that most work groups aren't those things you described. Uh, Well, unfortunately, that's... On average. Yeah, unfortunately, and that's what we see is that our engagement scores are nowhere near what we want them to be. I would say that if you were really good at setting up an environment where there were givers, where there was uh, creative conflict was welcomed, where you used the Lencioni model and, and went up that model where there were trust and safety were the first piece of it. If you're in a situation where everybody is treated in a way that they feel is fair or at least help to understand why this is mm-hmm. viewed as fair, then you'd have an organization that would be significantly have highly engaged employees and be significantly more productive. That's a great recap. And the only thing I didn't hear there was you talked at the beginning also about bad apples. So if we attend to the bad apples, either transition them to good, at least neutral, we make sure we build the givers and we create a culture then of constructive conflict and productive conflict. So what was the word with from Lancioni? Creative conflict. Creative conflict. Yeah, yeah. So creating a culture where I have the f- safety to build the skills. So I may not go into that culture good at dealing with it. And I think the other thing you said that really bears repeating is it's not going to be comfortable. For most of us, it never gets comfortable. I don't look forward to going to work because I get to be in conflict with people. I look forward to no conflict. And yet when it arises, I know I have the confidence to deal with it. And the people with whom I've chosen to work are in this with me, and we will all work it through. So as a wrap, thank you, Mike, for sharing models and tools and insights with our listeners. Please give us feedback, either through my email, info at metcalf-associates.com, or our Facebook page, Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. And I hope everyone heard something today that they are able to implement in their organization. So as leaders, are you promoting creative conflict? Are you modeling the skills where you are dealing with conflict and removing the bad apples? I keep wanting to say angry orchard cider, mm-hmm. <laughs> that you put those apples into the cider and and promote the givers. Promote as an uplift. So we shape the culture both to have creative conflict, but also the safety that is provided by having givers and positive people within the organization. So we will be back next week. Thank you. Thank you again for joining us this week. Please tune in for another edition of Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations with Maureen Metcalf next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We hope you'll join us then. Drive and thrive and have a great week.